Hey, you're here with Dr. Jody, and this is season three of Anxiety. I'm so done with you. This podcast is a teen and a young adult guide to ditching toxic stress and hardwiring your brain for happiness. If you're new here, grab a copy of my book, Anxiety. I'm so done with you because this series goes section by section through the book, going a little bit deeper, giving more examples and telling more stories. Season three, which goes along with chapter three, is expanding hope by looking at your skills and abilities. You are amazing. You have many skills and abilities. However, anxiety does not want you to know that, and it tries to block your view of them, but not anymore. In this season, we're gonna bring them out into the open, giving you more access to them when you need them the most. And as this season progresses, you're gonna envision yourself in a new way. As a person who is able, caring, confident, and determined. Thank you so much for listening, subscribing, and leaving me five stars on Apple Podcasts. Mental health problems are skyrocketing especially among young people. And this series will help them cease judging, stop questioning, and start healing. Welcome all of you to chapter three. This episode will be about section one, activate your power. During our time here today, I'm gonna check in with how you're doing. I'm gonna introduce to you chapter three. I'm gonna define what I mean by activate. We'll talk about personal agency, review self-compassion, and then I'm going to share with you the three steps that you should take when anything goes wrong. Overall, I'm going to teach you how to activate the power and control that you do have. But before we get into the nitty gritty of all these things, how are you doing? I'm so glad that you're sticking with me in this process because it is going to be worth it. Think about how much anxiety you had when you started this journey. And imagine that as 100%. I want you to think about what percent is it now? What percent of the anxiety is left? If you are just starting to feel better, it's okay. We're not going to leave you here. You are going to keep going through this process until you feel better all the way. It's even okay if your anxiety backslides and it terrorizes you again one night or one day. That doesn't mean you're regressing. That was just the perfect storm context of that moment, or it was an intense experience that you had. But how you make meaning around that will help you either get yourself back on track with your recovery or have you feeling horrible for a while. If you have an episode of bad anxiety again, now you know what to do. First, you look for a reason. And I only say that now because now you know you have to keep it simple. It might be because you're tired or you're hungry or you're fighting off a virus or there's an old trigger that came up or an old familiar feeling that maybe you're getting anxiety and that was the trigger. Allow that very simple reason to satisfy your curiosity as to why this is happening because it is usually that simple. And then second, say, okay, that's just the adrenaline. I get why it went off because of this, whatever you figured out. Thanks, Amygdala. If I needed you, that would be great, but I don't need you right now. I am safe. And then third, take some kind of action that will engage your mind space until the anxiety goes away. 
This is what you don't want to do. When you have intense anxiety again, don't say, oh no, it's here again. I hate this feeling. I hate it. Oh no, oh no, oh no. I can't do this. I hate it. Because that feeds the anxiety. Instead, I want you to celebrate your wins. If the anxiety is down 20% or 30%, think about if you would have imagined it being down that much a month ago. You might have been happy with 5% then. Listen, if it's 80% better and you are upset about the last 20% because you don't want any of it to be around, that lamenting is keeping that 20%. With myself and my clients, I found that celebrating that 80% had more impact on it continuing to go down. And when you lament on the 20%, it makes it worse. When you're still upset about that 20%, you're being bothered by the anxiety And as you now know, that feeds it. I know you don't want any anxiety at all. I promise I will get you there. However, if you say, I can do this, it's down 80%, which feels so much better. I am amazing for getting it down 80%. I can handle this anxiety. Even if it's stated 20%, I don't have to be afraid of it because I can handle it. If you do that, The anxiety has no power over you and it goes down even more. Enter chapter three. So welcome, welcome to chapter three. You might've had other people or therapists help you with anxiety and they might've given you coping skills to decrease anxiety when it comes. I've already told you this, but my method is different because I help you decrease anxiety's power in the first place. In chapter one, we expose anxiety by learning where it comes from. And in chapter two, we deconstructed it further by calling out its tricks and tactics, aka learning the lies that it tells. And now in chapter three, we are getting to your skills and knowledges. I already know that you have skills. I know because you were not born yesterday You couldn't have gotten to the age that you are if you had no life skills or no coping skills or adapting or survival skills. Even if you've never gone through anything hard in your life, which I highly doubt, you would have needed some skills. So you have them. Plus, you have those innate abilities from your brain having evolved for millions of years. The ego of me thinking that I could teach you coping skills is ridiculous because you already have excellent skills. However, that dang anxiety has gotten in the way of you seeing them and so has blocked your access to them. And now that we've taken anxiety down a few notches, I can reintroduce you to your skills, which will open access to them again. And as you use them, they'll develop and they will lead you to having more and more skills in your personal toolbox. As you know, chapter three goes along with step three in the five steps to curing anxiety. You have heard me refer to step three as cultivate your control. Cultivate means to acquire or develop. You have always had control, but we are acquiring or reacquiring your sense that you have control. We are getting the knowledge that you have control back online. For the section headings of chapter three, I use the word activate, which I like because it illustrates the concept of cultivating and also it takes it a step further into action. 
Action is so important to emotional well-being. It is the opposite of stagnation, which decompensates people really fast. There's a quotation that I like that illustrates this. A ship in the harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are for. I had originally heard this quotation as, a ship in the harbor is safe, but if it stays too long, the bottom rots out. Humans are built for action. This doesn't mean be a workaholic or you're only worthy if you're productive. Those are maladaptive discourses from Western culture. Action can be about productivity and being goal-oriented towards the things that you deeply desire. It could be about closeness and intimacy in relationships. It can be about making the world a better place. And also, it can be about pleasure, joy, relaxation, and fun. What we are talking about today, and really this whole book, comes from a Western culture perspective. I'm not promoting or defending Western culture because most of it sucks from a social, emotional, and mental standpoint. It's just that a lot of the context and problems that I speak about come from this culture and its history. I have this Western culture perspective because I grew up here, and I've seen the firsthand devastating effects of this individualism on people and families. Colonization is a trauma for the colonized and the colonizers. If you're curious about this, I put some resources in the blog post that goes with this episode, including Nikki Sanchez's TEDx talk called Decolonization is for Everyone. Discrimination causes mental health problems for the discriminators and the discriminated. While the trauma experience is, of course, worse for people with marginalized identities, for the people with privileged identities, that grabbing and not being able to maintain pseudo-power messes with the mind. So working towards an anti-oppressive society is better for everybody. If you haven't heard the term marginalized identities, these are people and peoples who've been structurally and individually discriminated against, like indigenous people, black and brown bodies, people with disabilities, women, and people who identify as LGBTQ+. Western culture does have some good things, though. The freedom of Western culture is good. Even though it's often socially and structurally withheld from some people, and it can be weaponized also, we generally have freedom of our actions. This is called personal agency, and it is the power to respond to the world how we want to respond to it. Our freedom is not perfect, as I mentioned, and we do have some work to do for sure, but I'm saying that we have freedom in comparison to 70% of the world's population in 2022 who still live under an authoritarian government. Compared to that, we have freedom. Chapter three tells you how to harness it, cultivate it, and activate it. In section one, the section that you read for this episode, we discuss activating your power and I introduce you to your personal agency. That means you're an agent of your life. Just like a music agent gets the band gigs and makes sure they have everything that they need, you're an agent of yourself, opening doors, building relationships, honing skills, making meaning, clearing negative energy, and fulfilling your needs. Things happen to you that are out of your control, and of course they affect you deeply. But after they happen, you get to decide how to think about it, 
how to think about yourself, what it means, and how to act going forward. These things are 100% in your control and they make or break your life. They affect your recovery, your relationships, your opportunities, your mood, and your view of yourself much more than what happened to you. Depending on what you do, you can blow up and increase your suffering or process and heal yourself. And you deserve to heal yourself. In the What's in Your Hand activity of this section, I share my three steps to take when you experience difficulty. I recommend these three steps no matter what is happening. And I want you to take these three steps in this exact order. And I'm so not a linear person and I can never even follow a recipe without making some kind of adjustment. But as you'll see, the sequence has a lot of flexibility in it, even though I'm rigid about the order. I know you just read it in the section, but I'm going to review it because it is so important. Step one, have compassion. Step two, take a mental step back. Step three, decide what to do. All right, let's go through those. Self-compassion. Self-compassion and compassion for others is how we heal. Remember that I said that all hurt was from people being invalidated or devalued. I said all pain, frustration, fear, and hurt is from something that is precious to you being lost or threatened. That emotional pain signifies devaluing of that thing that you hold precious. And sometimes that thing could be you. Sometimes it's another person or an object or a concept such as respect or innocence, or it also could be an opportunity. You get what I mean. It's something that is precious to you. And so when you understand hurt as a devaluing of that, then you can understand the importance of compassion because compassion is a revaluing of what is precious. Even in understanding and recognizing the value, you're revaluing it. When you say, I get it, I get why you feel that way. It is a recognition of the importance of what is precious. For example, I understand why that loss hurt me. It makes sense. That relationship was really important to me and that person was really special to me. That's all that you have to do. That's all compassion is. It's an acceptance or validation of your feelings. We should have been taught self-compassion in middle school because it would save us so much negative self-judgment and the suffering that comes with that negative self-judgment that we do. Maybe you are in middle school and listening to this. I hope so. I'm so glad for you because practicing and knowing how to deliver self-compassion to yourself is going to save you so much. This is how you do it. No matter what you are feeling, you say, I get it. I get why I feel this way. You give care to your feelings. I even like to teach this gesture that I taught myself when I was going through a really hard time. I kiss my hand, my forefinger, and then I touch my heart with it. And I taught this to myself one time when I kept thinking of hurt feelings, even though I really wanted to stop thinking of them. And I kept thinking about hurt feelings. And instead of berating myself for thinking about them again, I would kiss my hand and touch my heart and say, I get it. I understand why that hurt. Did you ever have a conflict or a fight with someone and then replay it over and over and over in your mind? And then you try to let it go, but it comes back. And then you think, oh, I can't believe it came back. I thought I let it go. What is going on? And that thinking makes you more upset. 
That upsetness is attaching you to the negative feelings because you're invalidating them. You were already invalidated by what hurt you, and now you're invalidating your feelings about it. It provokes part of you to keep defending those feelings, and that keeps them there, and it keeps you fighting with yourself. But if you instead had self-compassion thinking, I get it, I get why it hurts me, that makes sense it came back. I knew you'd come back, just have a seat. Remember that? It coming back is just what the human mind does. If you want to let something go and then it comes back, throw some compassion at it. This means you don't stay with the compassion. You don't think, oh, I'm going to give it compassion, just a lot of compassion. Oh, give it compassion. That attaches to it too. You want to kind of throw compassion at it. Just kiss your hand, touch your heart and be like, I get it. I get why I feel this way. Then we're going to move on. But you need to do that. You need to throw compassion at it so that you give yourself some validation so you don't attach to it. And then you could do step two, take a mental step back. This is also called zooming out or being above the battlefield. It's looking at a situation from a big picture view when you're outside the chaos of it. This is too hard to do when you're still invalidated. But once you have compassion for yourself, you could zoom out. You even still could feel bad. But if you have compassion for yourself, you'll be able to zoom out. And from this zoomed out perspective, you get a new understanding of yourself. You get an understanding of the context and also of all of the other players. So you get why they are doing what they're doing or why they did what they did. You understanding those things helps you take it less personally. You know how sometimes you get hurt and you go to a friend and you tell them about it and with good intentions, they say, oh, you can't take that personally, but you just wanted them to listen and understand. When you think about it, their advice is not really bad advice. It's just the timing of it feels judgmental, like you're handling it wrong or you shouldn't feel bad about it. Not taking it personally is good advice, but it's too early. The validation has to come first so you can detach. And you could get that validation from others or from yourself. I recommend both because humans are social beings, but when there's no one else around, self-compassion works magic. The ability to zoom out is an advanced stage of mature consciousness and memory, according to psychiatrist and author Russell Mears. It immediately regulates your neurobiology, decreasing any intense emotions. I also call this a witnessing state. In therapy, I use questioning to help invite people to this witnessing state all the time. It keeps people from panicking when they're with me, and there's no risk to practicing it, so practice away. Again, from that distant position, you could discern, you could understand, and then step three you can decide what you want to do next. From this distant perspective or above the battlefield, you are in a power role instead of a victim role. You're not reacting to what happened. You're responding from a rooted conscious place. And as you can imagine, this will give you the best outcomes, not only for the situation, but for what you carry forward from the situation. What do you think? Try it. Even with something little that's going on in your life, feel into it and see how it changes your perspective and feelings. Think about it. 
What do you think it would do to your emotions to have compassion for yourself and take a step back? How do you imagine it would affect your view of yourself? How do you think it would affect your anxiety and depression? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Anxiety, I'm So Done With You with me, Dr. Jody. In this episode, I introduced you to chapter three. We talked about personal agency, self-compassion, taking a mental step back and responding from rooted consciousness. I appreciate you for all the shares, likes, and comments. And as you know, any interaction that you do grows the influence that I can make with this series. So thank you. Don't forget to also leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and come hang out with me on TikTok at Dr. Jody. In the next episode, we're gonna get into chapter three, section two, activate trust. Go ahead and listen and I'll meet you there.